Greetings. Hi, this is Teresa Willard Hughes. I want to thank you for taking the time to listen to my podcast. Well, as many of you know, my mother died on April the 23rd of 2022. And as most of you know, we did not have the greatest of relationships. That's to put it politely. I didn't know how to grieve for her. I didn't know how was I supposed to cry, what the hell I was supposed to do. So... I let it resonate in my life for about a month now, a little over a month and a half. And the lessons that I've learned from this time period of just being down, not thinking about it, trying not to ruminate of all the hateful conversations and all that, I just stopped. And as a result of finally learning how to stop, which is a new thing for me, I realized I'm in a better place. There are three people in my life that worked very hard at destroying me. There is my biological father. There is his wife, my Aunt Dale, who was married to my mother's, who was, it was my mother's oldest sister. And then my mother. All three have now died. All three died difficult deaths, but they're all dead. And you know what? I feel absolutely liberated. Sounds crazy. But there's this sense of that last part of that mean spiritness of those three people's lives are gone for me. I now feel free. I feel so freaking free that I am talking about a subject that we've hit on before about me being a mother of a child born of incest and rape. My biological child is also my biological my eldest child. And for the first time, I'm going to actually talk about it in detail. Because somewhere along the line in my downtime, I recognized as I was listening to the debate over Roe v. Wade and listening to the banning now at the number of states who are willing to ban the exception clause, which was pretty much the foundation of all of abortion rights for years, for generations, even before Roe v. Wade, people are now wanting to take it away. And I keep thinking, you households have no idea what you're talking about. So what I did is I prepared this podcast for that you to be able to listen to what it really takes to be able to raise a child born of rape and incest. As you well know, I'm not a politician. I'm not running for any political office. Hell, I couldn't even pass any form of vetting, to be honest with you. I have no desires to be political. But I decided to do this because I feel free, finally, to be able to talk. And I'm also doing it because I have been watching the battle, the vitriol of Roe v. Wade, of folks on the left and folks on the right being righteous as all hell. Pro-life people saying that this is a golden opportunity if someone is pregnant to be able to give birth to a child, even if they can't afford it. People on the left who are pro-choice are screaming and yelling that it's my body, I could do what the hell I want to do. Somewhere along the line, I think both of them are full of bullshit, but they're full of righteous ignition. So I decided to do this podcast. Because me, at 73, I'm actually the face of what they're bitching about. I happen to be the face of that young teenage mom who was impregnated by her father. My eldest son is also 
my brother. Think about living with that shame blame. So let's talk about what they don't understand and they don't know and apparently don't seem to want to recognize. Both groups seem to be locked into this six-week situation. Six-week heartbeat, maybe get up to a 15-week heartbeat. They're calling the fetus the unborn person. They got all kinds of labels for this. But nobody seems to be talking about the baby. No one seems to be talking about the mom. And nobody talks about what happens when this child grows up. So that's what we're going to talk about today. I got 55 years of experience in this conversation. So let's start out with the six-week heart. I was a freshman in college. I had just returned home for a family gathering. Nobody was at the house but my father. Somehow the family evaporated. And I was stuck there with this bastard by myself. I don't know how long it took with me. Knocked me to the ground and began to rape me. Beat me and savagely raped me. I fled the house. I went back to college, grateful that I had so Try to put my life back on hold. Try to be able to move forward. Try to be able to get on with my classes. Somewhere around a month or two afterwards, I began to feel sick. Didn't know what it was. Then I fainted. So I got taken to the uh, infirmary and the nurse asked me, had I had sex? I honestly said no. Hadn't made love to you. When the hell, I didn't even have a boyfriend. She said to me, you must have had sex with someone because you're pregnant. I was almost four months old. I had been numbed so long from my father battering and using and sexually violating. I had no sense of the anything, seems like, from the neck down. I had been numb from the abuse. So this whole conversation of getting in within the first six weeks, if you've been sexually violated like I am, you don't even have any feelings. You're just trying to get through the freaking ass day. Now what do I do? My grandmother said I can't come home. My mother didn't want to have a goddamn thing to do with me. So now I'm stuck with these bastards. While I am trying to figure out how to be able to survive, these two assholes, my father and his wife, are now making names for my baby. They're trying to contemplate what they're going to do to a baby's room. They're going through stuff as if me being pregnant is not an issue. Matter of fact, it's something for them to solve. Finally, I give birth to my son. My grandparents come down for a three-day visit. My grandmother, as I said, was a good Christian woman, holy roller, Pentecostal, member of the Mother's Auxiliary. She comes in and she says to me, Teddy, that baby looks a lot like Ed. I don't know what to say. And she then continues. As casual as any conversation, my grandmother drops three bombs on me. One, that my son would never be right in the head because, A, my the man that I have known all of my life for the last 19 years as my Uncle Ed, as my biological father. I have just given birth to my son. And my grandmother is asking me, was there a relationship? There was no relationship, I informed her. He fucked me and he raped me. Her comment? Her comment was very clear. Good girls do not have, have talked that way. Decent women never use those terms. Not about the problem that he was my father. Not about the problem that this man raped and abused me. Not about that I have just given birth to my son, who's my brother, but that how dare I use the word fuck was her biggest concern. I don't know. 
fuck am I supposed to do this? this? My grandfather hands me $800 while everybody's left and said, you got to get out of here. I left. But the three-day-old baby, Ted's not completely dried up from having built. I have to leave to be able to protect my son. I bet my father and grandmother thought that they should be able to file kidnapping charges against me for stealing my own son. I suggested they go ahead and do it. Let's see how well that turns out. At the time I was, my son was close to three years old, I returned to the Bay Area to be able to resume my life. It was a nightmare. Every time he turned around, my father and my aunt were trying to kidnap my son. Thankfully, I had an uncle, my uncle Richard, who's now passed, and his wife, Aunt May. I allowed them to babysit my son while I worked. And when my father and aunt came to snatch take my son away from them, she said that's not what Terry would allow, and Richard would not allow it. This woman, single-handedly, by herself, with a couple little children of her own in the household, stood up, which is what most people could not do. She stood up to my grandmother, who was a force of nature, and my father and my aunt. And the only reason my child's and my wife turned out well is because of that. People will probably say that I, we are very fortunate, or we are lucky. Nah, we weren't lucky. I was a grown-ass black woman, even at age 19, 20, 22. I had a son I had to protect. And I would have done anything, and I did everything that I could to make sure that he had the best possible life. He went to the best private schools. There was a field trip or an outing or whatever the hell he wanted to do. Mama wasn't there paying for it and making sure that it was being done. Who I turned out to be was not only a black mama, but I was a grizzly bear mama on massive steroids. There are things that you did not do, and you did not mess with my son. He was mine. It's not my father's. He was mine. He was my son. I raised him. And I made sure that he and I would never be someone's goddamn statistic. But here's the other thing when you talk about Roe v. Wade and we have these politicians and they're going on and on and on about what a golden opportunity, even for this sad, I love the term, sad situation, that if a girl becomes pregnant as a result of rape and incident, she has this golden opportunity to be able to shape and mold a child. Even if the girl is 13, Let's be realistic. At 13, you can't even get a goddamn driver's permit, let alone learn to drive. Can't work someplace. So how in the hell is a 13-year-old going to mold and shape someone? And oh, by the way, Chicky, if you think that that's a great opportunity, why don't you give birth to a child that you have great hopes and dreams for? And you allow this 13-year-old, uneducated, maybe an eighth grader, if she's in a good shape, be able to raise your child. Let's see what you think about that. So let's talk about the reality of what happens. Say if you're a 13, 14, 15 year old girl, baby, if you're 13, 14, people look at you like obviously you've had sex. It's not like you've had romantic sex. You've been baked more than likely multiple times from someone much older than you. Everybody talks about the glories of prenatal care. But if you're a teenage unwed mother and you're under the age of 14, the hospital is more than likely is going to have someone call social services on your ass. So you don't get prenatal care. And your baby and your health needs this. Next thing you know, you give birth to the baby. 
So let's say that there's a uh, 24 to 36 hour period in which this child has to leave the hospital. Whose name does she put on the birth certificate as the father of the child? She can't put her own biological father. She can't put anybody that everybody knows in the community who's probably, quote unquote, the good guy. She has to then have to find a name, make up a name, or do something else, but she got a lot. So here's the first official document for a child that's 24 to 36 hours. And that birth certificate of the official document is a lot. So now you think about all the places this child is going to need his birth certificate. Get his driver's license, get first learning permit, be able to be registered for school. You think about the lifetime uses of your birth certificate. It's a lot. And then where does she bring the kid home? Whose home does this 13, 14-year-old girl bring this kid home to? She bring it home to the family that allowed her to be sexually violated. And when I say allow it, given the fact that 93% of us have been sexually violated, we know our sexual predator. So what are her options then? She has to have some place to go, which means this predator's family will allow her to hit this child who is. I knew that if I allowed my father under any second service, my son had three options in life. He was going to be a sexual predator, dead, or in prison, and most likely all three. The mistakes that my father and aunt made with me and allowing me to get an education, they would not make that mistake again. So when I was dealing with this constant onslaught of my son potentially being kidnapped, my depression got so bad, so horrific, I contemplated suicide. Hell, I didn't just contemplate it. I bought a goddamn gun. I didn't know how to use a gun, but I bought a gun. Then I realized, oh, hell, I can't kill myself. Because if I kill myself, then what do I do? Then I have a child that my son's left behind. So that meant I had to contemplate murder-suicide. Think how you feel as a mom doing that. You are just at the lowest of life. But as a black woman, you just to keep going. And I did. Buckled up, kept moving. So by the time my son was 10 years old, there's all kinds of questions. Like, who's the father? Where is he? You can't be, really be free around people because if they ask that question, you don't have a damn answer. So you can't even be close to people. I can't give them aunts, uncles. I can't give them cousins. I can't give them my son any of these things. Because I can't allow him around any part of major part of my family. The isolation is unreal. So you start making up families. You build new family creations for your child. At 10, I realized that I had to begin to tell the truth to my son. But at 10, he's way too young. How do you tell a 10-year-old that you are not only his mother, but you're also his sister? You can't. The kid's too young. So I gave myself three years. At 13, that would be my calling that I was going to do this. For three years, I practiced how I was going to do it, what date I could do it on, how I would do it over a three-day holiday. There's all the stuff. You're trying to figure out what to say. Oh, there's no textbooks for it. There's no calling books. There's no understanding. You're on your freaking own in this situation. I remember I did it over Memorial Day weekend. That gave me three days for him to be able to recover if he needed to go back to school. 
I barely started into the conversation and tried not to cry. And I remember I didn't get past the term. I was raped and you were born as a result of it. Then I saw my confident, gifted, wonderful child crumble in front of me. No mom should ever have to deal with that. It was an awful feeling. I still feel guilty that I hurt my son. Here's the other thing that happened, is we didn't talk about it. Because that's a subject that you just can't continue having a conversation because you don't want to keep seeing your son hurt. But I was on a constant watch, constant to see for any signs. What can I do to intervene? But my son is very similar to me. He knows how to buckle up, and he just kept going. But then he made an announcement. I don't want to have any children. I'm going like my baby boy. He said, we lucked out. What would happen if I had children? And somewhere in the next generation or two, this bastard's genes comes out. I cannot live with the shame. That's a part of the stuff that you people on the right and people on the left never talk Then he tells me years later, Mom, I was afraid to have sex at the very beginning. Why, honey? Because what if I became a rapist as well? That fear never goes away. That shame never goes away. So this conversation is for you people to really understand. It never goes away. We still deal with it in our own way. I still have no grandchildren as a result of this from my oldest son. I'm still a mom on steroids. I'm a little better than I used to be because I'm older. I no longer worry that if I haven't heard from one of them, that somehow they're roadkill on the road. But there's that fear. There's that shame. It took me all this time, and I have a great audience, and I thank you all for listening to me. But it's taken me this long to be able to do this full podcast on this subject. I have clearly and with honor will say I am the face of everything that these people on the left and on the right are talking about for Roe v. Wade. And I will also say they have not a friggin' ass clue what they're talking about. But until we talk again, I wish you all the very best. You stay healthy, stay blessed. This is Teresa. Bye-bye.